Good morning. I'm going to read John 10, 1 through 21. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon, and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gene. Hello, my name is Scott Irwin. I am the pastoral counselor here at Sunnybrook, and it's been a while since I've been up here on stage to preach. Um, I think it's been almost two years, and every time I get a chance to do this, it always forces me to think about communicating effectively because there are uh, just different ages and stages of life and perspectives, and it really forces you to think, how can I say this so that you know what I mean, so that the, the most people here can know what I mean? And so here's my Captain Obvious opening statement. You ready? Communication can be difficult, but it's important to know what someone's saying in order to know what they mean. And I have three stories on that. The first one is about my time in Poland. So there was 16 of us that went to Poland last week. We got back last Sunday. We were there for about 10 days. And we were partnering with Pro-Am, which is a ministry that our church supports there. We've been supporting them for quite some time and... I got to see firsthand what this ministry does, and, and I don't have time to get into all of it. It was truly inspiring to see. They've, they've planted three churches. They started a school that's top-notch, started as a, as a preschool, and is now, after 16 years, they're graduating seniors in high school. They're, it, and it's 
an amazing facility. They have a camp that's just um, beautiful and incredible. They've, they host uh, kids' camps all summer long, um, and they've just recently bought a hotel. As you know, we took up a collection for them and for the work that they're doing there to help with refugees. We sent over a team in March to help with them, but you know, I think it was over in the spring, they had over 900-some people come in and stay at their camp from Ukraine, and they've helped them find and land in other places. But in May, early May, they knew that they were going to have camp starting, and so they had, you know, 40 or some families that needed a place to go, and, and this, this, this person wanted to sell them this hotel at a really, really inexpensive cost. They were able to raise the money, get this hotel, and move them in within six weeks. And they're letting them stay there for free. I mean, it's, it's Pro-Am is every penny we send over there is, is worth because I've seen firsthand what they're doing um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, we got to see them put on concerts and give out sausages and, I mean, just love people really, really well. So cool, cool place. But I was in a grocery store. Here's my story. I was in a grocery store and everybody else had already gone out. They'd already checked out and um, I was the last one. I was going through a self-checkout. They have self-checkouts. You know, I couldn't read anything on the screen, but I could see what green buttons look like, and I, I knew what red warning signs now look like. And so I pay, and then a, a, a box with gibberish on it, and then a red you know, warning sign comes up, and eventually this lady comes over, and she starts speaking, and I have no idea what she's saying if she's talking to me. And so this is what you do in international territory when you don't know, you just go... English? That's what you, that's the, I'm an idiot, I don't know. Um, no, normally they look around and try to find someone. Someone usually in the area speaks some kind of English. There was no one. So she does what all of us do, and this made me laugh. <laughs> Hopefully she knows I wasn't laughing at her, but this made me laugh because I've done this many times. She did what all of us do in that situation. She grabbed the ticket, and after she had already explained it to me, I didn't understand she goes, she said it louder and slower. <laughs> right? Have you not done that? I thought, I'm not, we're not the only ones who do this. this is, so anyway, I thought that was funny. It still didn't help. So she just took my card and she figured it out and I paid. I thought maybe I paid twice. Turns out I didn't, which was nice. Um, so, so we, the next story is, okay, Mac Johnson, who is uh, Jim's son, lives over there. He and his wife, Olivia, have been there since, I think, 2019. And he tells a story of going to a mechanic and taking his cars because lights on the dash were flashing and doing things to indicate something's wrong. But the word for light and the word for world are really close. And apparently, if you emphasize the wrong syllable at the end, it's, it's a different word. And so he ends up saying to, to mechanic, right, he's trying to describe what's going on. He says, the whole world says nothing works. Nothing works, and so they're laughing at him, right? Like, like, and I just thought, man, I've gone to a mechanic to try to explain sounds that I'm hearing in English, and they're in English, and I still, I still think they laugh at that. But anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. The last story actually happened here, and in light of so last week, Jay had eye exams on the screen, you know, eye tests. So on Thursday, my son took an eye test. So he, he's turned 15 and a half. He went in to get his learner permit, and the guy wants to give him an eye test, so the guy says, okay, cover your right eye, and, you know, read the chart. He does. Okay, now cover your left eye and read the chart. 
And then the guy says, now both eyes, and my son does this. <laughs> and they still gave him a permit. That's the thing. He's on the road, people. So anyway, I promise my wife and I will be with him for the next six months. I promise you. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, so communication um, can be difficult, and you need to understand what people are saying in order to know what they mean. And, and I don't know if you noticed, but in, in, your, in your Bible, John 10, if you open to John 10, um, I would encourage you to open a Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you or one around you, uh, because I want you to, it's not going to be on the screen as I talk through it, but I want you to kind of look down and see what's going on. But if you've noticed, these words are in red which means Jesus is speaking. And so last week, chapter 9, it was this great narrative, this great account of this man who was born blind, who Jesus heals of blindness. And then, like I like what Jay said, imagine, the day you get sight, you're brought before these people and you're questioned and all this stuff. And he's questioned and they don't believe him, they call his parents, they don't believe them. They call them back. They, you know, they don't believe this guy. And so the story, Jay does a great job describing the story, but just of this formerly blind man who now sees Jesus for who he really is, but also comparing this, this group of religious leaders who are blinded, spiritually blind to who Jesus is. Pretty powerful story. But it transitions from narrative form to Jesus is now giving a sermon. Jesus is speaking. The Lord of the universe, the God in, God in flesh, has something to say, and he's driving home a point, and the question is, I guess, are you listening? Are you listening? So before we get into John 10, you need to understand a little bit of background. Um, maybe like the historical echo is Ezekiel 34. If you're not familiar with that, which, which I wasn't extremely familiar with it before, but everyone kept pointing to Ezekiel 34. When you go to Ezekiel 34, you'll see the title is God's Rebuking Israel's Shepherds. So here's what God says in Ezekiel 34. He rebukes um, Israel's shepherds for not caring for the flock, for not strengthening the weak, for not healing the sick, for not bandaging the wounded, for not seeking the lost, for not protecting them from prey, ruling with cruelty, and feeding themselves rather than the flock. And he, he says, not only will I judge you, shepherds, but I will rescue my people. And then this is the kicker. He says, I will be their shepherd, and I will tend to their needs, and I will provide for them, and I will pr protect them. And that's Ezekiel 34. And so take Ezekiel 34 and put it in your back pocket as we, as we walk through John 10. You may see some things transpire. Here's, here's some observations I made. As I was studying through this, this is a familiar chapter for me. I've read it many times. But getting up here and teaching it is, is a little bit different because you, you've really got to understand what's going on. And what I noticed was the first five verses are Jesus just telling a, a an account. He's, he's giving um, normal everyday situations and, and the normal responses to those things that happened that all of them would have been familiar with or at least understood. 
So that's one through five. And then seven through 18 is him explaining what's going on, explaining um, why he's using this particular analogy to drive home his point. And then in verse six, if you notice, verse six says Jesus gave them this figure of speech and they didn't understand. The, 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 uh, the word figure of speech is the same idea, same word for parable. Essentially, Jesus is giving a parable about shepherding, and then he goes on to explain it. The thing you need to know about Jesus and parables is, is why he chooses to use them. So if you're not familiar, a parable is like a, a, a fictional, an account or a story. Jesus will often start at something like, you know, there was a man with two sons, and the younger son came to the father, and he did this and did that, and the older son did this. Or, or like, there, there was a farmer who was scattering seed, like carelessly. And some was falling on here, and some was falling here, and some here, and some on the good soil. And Jesus starts these parables usually just kind of talking about maybe something that would have occurred in their normal everyday life. And so, but why Jesus uses parables is kind of interesting. And in Matthew 13, he explains it. You can read it later, but I'll summarize. Essentially, Jesus gives parables so that those who have ears to hear will listen, and those who don't, won't. It, it, it has this ability, his parables have this ability to polarize the crowd into two groups. Those who have ears to hear and obey and believe, and they increase in their belief, and those who don't, and they increase in their disbelief. And you'll even see this play out at the end of our verses. You already have in verses 19 through 21. Something else you may have noticed in the verses and maybe picked up on in my language is words like hear and voice and listen and calls. And eight different times this word comes up in, in the first 18 verses. And, and you see... Um, in chapter 9, Jay was alluding to and helping us see, John, the writer, gospel, who wrote it, is, is helping us see the importance of seeing Jesus for who he is. And in chapter 10, all of a sudden, now we're dealing with hearing, and hearing Jesus and responding to him. Seems to be highlighted. Um, another thing you will notice is there's no talk of dumb sheep in this chapter. We always... Whenever we talk about sheep, we always talk about how dumb they are. It's just, you know, I get it, maybe. I haven't worked with sheep. So maybe if you work with sheep, you're like, yeah, trust me. But there's no talk of dumb sheep here. No, it, it's, there's no examples of sheep who are disobeying or sheep who are um, not listening or running off on their own or, or listening to other voices. No, the sheep hear and obey the voice of the shepherd and they flee from all of the other voices or other entities. I remember Jim having a sheep here on stage. How many, how many of you remember Jim in September having a sheep on stage? Okay, I'll, it was truly memorable for me, and I'll explain why. But So I don't know if you remember, Shepherd Kyle eh, comes out wearing his whatever. He comes out dragging the sheep because it was not wanting to do anything Kyle wanted it to do. He hands it off to Jim, and then flailing and fighting and pulling and tugging against Jim Everything Jim wanted to, this, this sheep wanted nothing. At one time, it peed all over the tarp that was on here. Another time, in one of the services, it tried to jump off the stage and freaked everybody out in the front row. And 
like the whole time, it's la- everybody, if you can listen to it, September 5th, you can go back, you hear everybody laughing. I was sitting right there, and I couldn't laugh. And I remember, I was like, why am I not laughing? This is funny. Why am I not laughing? And part of it, because I was looking at that sheep and thinking, is that what I look like? Is that what I'm like when I'm resistant to God, when I'm pulling and tugging at the things that he wants me to do, maybe because it's hard or sacrificial or it's humbling or I don't know. It, it just goes against something I want. Is, is that what I look like? I just kept, man, I, I will never forget that. But Jesus, in the sheep in the story, he tells they don't, they don't act like that. So, which, which has to mean, I know that that, experience, that that happens, but which has to mean that he might be driving at something else. Another thing you won't notice here is Jesus doesn't give tips and techniques on how to recognize the voice and listen to the shepherd. You don't, Jesus just kind of tells it, this is what happens, this is what he says. I would love to talk about this. Trust me, I have all kinds of material on how to listen to God, how to grow in spiritual disciplines, how to, how to grow in your relationship with God. I have lots I could talk about. And I was like, oh, that's probably what I'll talk about. And then I get into it, and Jesus doesn't go there. He doesn't get into that. He talks about what thieves and robbers do and how sheep respond to them and what shepherds do and how the sheep respond to them, but it just, it just describes things. It just kind of tells it, tells what normal everyday things are like. So I think more than anything, John 10 is about a shepherd, is about this shepherd. So think about that. And who is the shepherd? Jesus makes it clear he's the shepherd. He's the only one that can be trusted. Not even the hired hand, which is interesting. The, the, the hired hand, the one that the shepherd hires to work with the sheep, it says flees when the wolves come, when, when danger comes. What is he saying there? I don't know. I mean, if anyone is the hired hand in this analogy, which, you know, we're not really supposed to parables, break down every single thing, and you know, because Jesus doesn't. But if anyone, it would be trusted leaders, right? So is Jesus saying, don't trust anyone? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying, you can't trust anyone. They're all going to abandon you. Now, it's, as sad as it may be, I've talked to people who have experienced that with people in their life. But I don't think he's, Jesus is alluding to, you can't trust anyone. I think what he's saying is, there's only one capital S shepherd. And all other people, including you and me, make terrible capital S shepherds. That's what I think he's saying. There's only one shepherd that can be trusted Jesus is making it clear that he is this one shepherd that can be trusted. So think about that. Jesus, what he has to say, what he wants to say and communicate clearly is he wants to talk about himself. He's highlighting himself. I think that's interesting. He's proclaiming something about himself and he wants us to hear what he's saying. So I want to I just walk through what I, what I think John 10 is describing about Jesus. So in, in the first five verses, it says he, he goes through the gate, he enters through the gate. In other words, he can be trusted. That he calls his own sheep by name. That's a very specific thing to say. And, and Jesus makes a point to say it. And 
And everyone that I've read about it says what Jesus is saying is he has intimate knowledge. He, has, he, he knows the sheep by name. It's, it sounds too good to be true. It's just true sometimes. Sometimes it sounds like it's, that can't be true. But what's what Jesus is saying? He leads them out. He goes before them. So uh, Marshall Baker, who's in our church, friend of, friend of mine, he said, I remember him, and so I called him this week. I remember him saying he has a unique perspective on John 10 because he spent time in college. He did a summer internship in France, uh, an agricultural inter- internship, and he spent time specifically with professional shepherds. They still have shepherding in France where the government pays the shepherd to take care of certain sheep, and they scatter and go all over the countryside looking, grazing, looking for food. So, but the shepherd gets the sheep, and so whenever the sh- new sheep come to the shepherd, he says, this is Marshall saying, they enter through this gate one by one, and he marks them. He has his own unique mark, because when they're going to be out, they may encounter other sheep, and he needs to be able to know which ones are his. So he marks each sheep, okay? And then he said, and this was cool, they go down into, he's called it the base camp, or you know, I assume it's some pen, and the shepherd puts salt in his hand and goes up to each individual sheep and feeds the, the sheep salt. He says they love salt, they need salt. But it's this time where the shepherd can intimately examine the sheep and, and understand the sheep and the, as the sheep is eating out of his hand. He says he spends about two days with the new sheep. And by then, they are, they're his. And then he, they, I think they just open the gates and they just start walking. He said, it's the craziest thing. The, she- the shepherd just walks and the sheep just kind of go along with him because they know that's where they can get salt and that's who's going to protect them from, you know, whatever that may- they may encounter. And so they'll go and they'll find a place where they can eat and the-, the shepherd will kind of camp out and the sheep just s- slowly start to walk away. He says, if you let them, if you don't call them back, they'll just wander off to Spain, he said. Um, but they'll just wander off. He said, one time they look through binoculars and they're like, oh yeah, that's one of mine or two of mine way over there. And he has this unique call and he says, it's amazing. Other sheep that aren't his, they don't hear it. His sheep turn and look and they just start walking back towards the shepherd. He said, it was, a, it was the coolest thing. And then Marshall said he would have to hide in his tent because when all the sheep would come back at night for salt, if, they, if, if Marshall was around, they wouldn't, they wouldn't come. They wouldn't be as comfortable. And so it's just the shepherd, and, and so here's Marshall peering through his tent, watching the shepherd interact with the sheep. He said one time, they were, there's, they were all crowded, and he saw one that had a cut leg. And he, he said the, the shepherd just pushed his way right through the sheep, and they let him. He goes up to the sheep, flips it over on its back, tears a piece of his T-shirt, wraps it around his leg, and then flips it right back over. And I'm like, okay. He's like, Scott, that, like, Sheep just don't let you do that. But they let this guy do this to him. They let him do anything to them. And, you know, for, for, for Marshall, who grew up on a farm, who grew up with sheep, he's watching this, witnessing this, going, this has to be what Jesus is describing in John 10. He leads them out. He knows their needs. He provides for them. He goes before them. He protects them. They trust him. So can you hear Ezekiel 34 being fulfilled? 
verses 7 through 10. Jesus says, he is the gate. I am the gate. This is one of these great I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the gate. What does he mean? He's a gate? What is that? Notice the gate is closed to the sheep, or sorry, closed to the thieves and wolves and open to the shepherd. In, in scripture, gates and doors are highlighting judgment when the door is closed or salvation when the door is open. So an example of this is in Revelation 3.20 when Jesus, it says, Jesus is knocking on the door. So if you're familiar with Revelation 2 and 3, when, when Jesus speaks these words to these churches, and usually he has words of like harsh conviction, this is what I see against you. So this idea, when Jesus is knocking on a door, if a door is closed to Jesus, it's a barrier, he can't come in, that's a, that's a, that's a pronouncement of judgment. If Jesus has to knock and the door isn't just open to him, that's a pronouncement of judgment in Revelation 3.20. Another example is in um, Colossians 4.3 where Paul prays for an open door to be able to share the gospel, salvation. So doors closed, judgment, doors open, salvation. And by calling himself the gate, what he's pronouncing judgment on those who resist him, who have different agendas than him, and salvation to those who follow him. And then verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10 I have pondered about for at least 20 years because it's just interesting. They will go in, they will go out, they will find pasture. I don't know what that means. I didn't grow up on a farm. So I'm asking Marshall, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm trying to understand what's the connection between in and out and find pasture and abundant life in verse 10. So in and out, he goes, they, they can go in. Into what? Probably a sheep pen. Something that can protect them. Go out, then go out of the gate into what? Into open country. Their freedom to roam, to find food and drink. Jesus is saying, like in me I provide life and freedom. He, he said in, in, in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. So what about this abundant life? What, how does this abundant life transfer? It says, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does he mean by that? I've heard a lot of people talk about it. What does it mean? One, one particular example, I remember our family was in Colorado, um, and we were there on vacation one summer, and we were there over a weekend. So we, I got online, found a church. We went to this church. It was a great church, actually. They were really friendly. They, I, I, I kept getting emails from them for like the next two years. It just I was in their database, and they were very, very welcoming. And they, you could tell they had a great, strong community, and they were active. Um, the sermon was great. I remember being uh, really appreciating the sermon, but I, there's this one moment, and I, I don't know, maybe it's because of my occupation or my, what I do, but he said, and this is why Jesus came. And my ears perked up, and I leaned forward, because I know whatever he's about to say after that is going to, he's going to explain what he sees the purpose of Jesus, and maybe more specifically, how he sees the gospel. So I'm curious, how's he going to say it? All right, this is just, I don't know, maybe it's a weird thing pastors do. He says, he came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's quoting John 10.10. 10. I'm like, okay, what does he mean by that? What's he gonna, how is he going to describe it, right? Because he's got to describe, he still hasn't said anything yet, because we don't know what that means, really. We all have an idea of what we think that means. 
And then the examples he gave were all of um, hiking in the mountains, mountain biking, and rock climbing. And I think, I don't live near mountains. Like, surely this can't, it can't just be for those who live near mountains, because I don't, what about us, you know? More importantly, what about refugees in Poland who've lost everything in Ukraine? So we, we went to this, I told you we went to this warehouse. Um, did I tell you this, or was this last service? I don't even know anymore. We went to this abandoned, this old, this empty warehouse. Um, this is one of our service projects each day in Poland. And we worked with these refugees. There was currently at the time about 200, and they said around 80 or some kids that were there. At one time they had, I mean, maybe closer to 400. It's just a big open room with cots right next to each other, no privacy. And, and most of them have left their husbands or their fathers back in Ukraine fighting. And here they are. They've lost everything, and they're, they're trying to figure out what, what life is going to look like. What does abundant life mean for them? What about believers in war-torn Somalia or Syria? What about believers in Israel, um, in Rome, during the first three centuries, where they killed Christians for sport? Like, what does abundant life mean for them? Because it can't mean that we get to, like, hike and have these great, amazing experiences and it can't mean things that only those in affluent areas can have. It has to mean something else. So I've concluded the abundant life is greater than a life filled with pleasure and amazing experiences. It's, it's, it's greater than having more wealth or more influence or happiness or perfect health. If our prayers are filled with requests for greater experiences, wealth, importance, affluence, health, that we've probably bought into a false version of what this abundant life that Jesus came to die for. He makes no promises of those things. In fact, here's, here's a promise he does make in John 16, It's not the only one, but it is one. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Here's a promise. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Like Max said in Broken Polish, the whole world says nothing works, right? But Jesus promises that nothing you go through in this world will steal, kill, or destroy what you have in him. I think that's the abundant life he's describing. It's a life that, that, it, that knows and is known by this conquering shepherd. A life that is filled with peace, knowing that you are under his eternal and sovereign protection and provision. That the one who knows you by name wants to set you free from sin and give you life eternally in him. And this is far greater than living near mountains and beaches, although I would love either one of those. Far greater than having a target on every corner, getting a good report from your doctor, getting an increase in, in our financial portfolio. What Jesus, the abundant life that Jesus is offering is far greater than those things. It has to be. You know, Jesus is saying about himself is follow me because I offer real life 
and freedom. Tomorrow's Independence Day. I'm thankful for the freedom I have in this country in traveling and doing different things. It really does remind you of a lot of things that, that, that we have here that we're blessed by. I'm thankful for people like my, my grandpa who fought in the war in World War II. I'm thankful for Gene, Brother Gene, who read scripture today, who spent many decades in, in service to our country. I'm thankful for their sacrifice. But Jesus goes on to describe that he also paid a sacrifice. He is the good shepherd, and he describes what shepherds do. So verses 11 through 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. What do, what do good shepherds do? Jesus describes good shepherds as um, putting their sheep, their sheep's needs ahead of their own, like risking their life for the sheep, to care for the sheep, to tend to the to sheep's needs. And so Jesus stops speaking in metaphor here, and he goes... Um, he speaks clearly that he's proclaiming something about himself that in obedience to the Father and out of love for us, Jesus lays down his life willingly and lovingly. I say us because I don't know if you caught verse 16. Verse 16 is a little weird. Wait, who, who are these other sheep? I, that tricked me up for a while. He's talking to Israelites. He's talking to Jewish people, his people. Right, And so if you know, like Acts 9 and 10, um, all of a sudden Gentiles are coming into the faith and coming into the church. I believe he's referring to Gentile believers who will come in, and that's us. He says he willingly lays down his life and he will take it up again. He's speaking plainly here. Long before his arrest, his crucifixion, the empty tomb, he's talking about the cross and resurrection. He demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place for our sins. He conquered death by rising from the dead so that you and I may have life in him eternally and abundantly, here and then, now and then. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I love what Jay said last week. He called, he, had, he called this right. He said, the cross and resurrection is the blazing center of the glory of God. But Jesus, he doesn't seem to be saying all these things about himself to convince the crowd, to sway the crowd to follow him. Remember? He speaks and it, it all of a sudden separates into two groups. Jesus isn't listing all his qualities and hopes that maybe, maybe we'll hear him and we'll be like, yeah, I'm going to die to myself and live for you. I don't think that's how it works. It doesn't seem to be his motivation. Do I think he wants that? Yes. But the Bible just seems to proclaim who Jesus is and then we get to respond to him. And, and that's what happens in verses 19 and 21. I don't know if 19 through 21. I don't know if you notice, some, some respond in disbelief, which the Bible calls sin. Some are, they respond in disbelief, they call him crazy, filled with a demon, and they, they say this, why are you listening to him? Jesus just gets done saying, those who hear my voice are my sheep. Those who listen to me, right? And, and here they are saying, stop listening to him. It's very clear that John is describing people who don't believe, 
And then, he, then he's describing people who go, wait, 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 no. No, this guy, he has to be something. They're starting to see him for who he is. I'll be honest, I would love, I would love to stand up here and put all these great qualities about Jesus before you. I would love to think that somehow I could convince you to follow him, to give your life to him, put your faith in him. I just don't think that I can do that. I don't think I can convince you apart from the spirit nudging and prompting. And so I, I, I want to stop and say like if that's happening or if it has happened, it's been happening. That's how it was for me. It happened several weeks where I, I felt this prompting, this leading, this nudging to, to, to surrender, to stop trying to be in control and to give my life to Christ. I can't, I don't know if that's happening for you, but if it is, it's worth listening to. But what I can do is talk about the, who the Bible describes Jesus as. And the, so I want to share some verses that have just really jumped off the page for me over the last six months. I'm just going to fire them off. They're, they'll be on the screen. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus says he heals all, every disease and sickness. So he's spending time with people and healing disease and sickness. And then he stands back and he sees the crowds that are still coming. And he says, it says he felt compassion for them. Literally, the, the word compassion is this idea. They felt like, they, they believed that our emotions are in our gut. And so the word literally means his guts spilled out for them. And because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He says, learn from me. And then he does, the, first, the only time in, in the gospels where Jesus references his own heart as lowly and humble. One that we can find rest for our souls. John uh, 6, 37. Last week, Jay described this blind man who was cast out of the synagogue by the leaders. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 37. Everyone the Father gives will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. John 13, 1. This is the, the text where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But before then, it says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And so what does he do? He describes what he's done. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Whenever I talk about Jesus, I've of, I often talk about what he's done. It's always a past tense thing. This, this verse has reminded me, now I can talk about what Jesus, what, it said, what the Bible says Jesus is doing now, always interceding for us. That's, that's pretty profound. Verse, uh, John, 1 John 21, or sorry, 1 John 2, 1. 
I'm writing you these things, this is John writing, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, right? So he's writing to a new church who's trying to live out their faith in Jesus, what this new life in Christ looks like, and I'm writing these things so that you won't sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In other words, not only is Jesus always interceding, but it says that in those moments when we choose to tug and to pull and to flail against the Lord, we resist him, we sin, we choose something that doesn't glorify him, that is bad for us and others. What it says here is Jesus steps in as our advocate and says, my righteousness is enough for them. It's pretty amazing. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. These verses are not meant to try to convince you or to convince us. They they simply just require a response. How would you respond to who this good shepherd is? I'm going to close by reading Psalm 23. And I'm going to use it as just a, a time for us to reflect, so I'm going to read it slowly. It's a, probably a familiar psalm. If you, uh, even if you haven't spent a whole lot of time in church, you've probably heard this psalm or at least heard it referenced maybe at funerals or, or something else. But I want to use it just as a, as a way for us to reflect on how we should respond to Jesus today. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Take a couple minutes to just spend some time in reflection and prayer on how you might respond to him.